Well, it is so good to see each of you this evening. Welcome to the house of God. And it's wonderful to see a group of people who are thirsting for the showers of blessing. And we receive that as we feast on God's word and then yield ourselves to him. There shall be seasons refreshing when we let Christ have his way. That's all about surrender. Submission to the Word of God and to His will for our lives. And you know that doesn't come natural. Our flesh rebels against that. And yet it is when we surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ that our lives are flooded with a peace that passes all understanding. And don't just take my word for it, but experience it for yourself. I mean, I can tell you what I've experienced And I can stand up here with a a cheerful face that flows out of my personal experience. But you will never truly experience that until you experience it for yourself. And so I, I just call you and I challenge you at the end of these meetings, as we're nearing the end of these meetings, to to take that personally, take that challenge personally, do business with God. Maybe, maybe that means a first-time surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a, a young person here. You're at that age of accountability, and you have heard God speaking this week, and you've understood that. You're hearing the call of God, but you've never made that decision to be a Christian. Tonight would be a great night to do that. Maybe you're an older one that has made a decision for the Lord before. But maybe you feel you've sort of slipped away. Your relationship with Him is not vibrant. This would be a wonderful night to recommit your life to Him. And so at the beginning this evening, I just want to to offer that invitation to you. I want you to consider that as we bring these meetings here to a close. It's been a very rich week for me to be here and to fellowship with you dear people at Mabel. Uh, This is a congregation I've heard about I think I visited one time on a Sunday morning with my family a few years ago. We were in the area and and never knew what Mabel looked like, and so we came. Anyway, but this has been a good experience for me. Uh, It's been a rich week, and God has blessed this congregation with much warmth and much genuine spirit, generosity, hospitality, and I just want to say thank you, and God bless you for the way you are serving in the kingdom and the way that you have met my needs and pampered me and then my family uh, this weekend. Uh, We will go away with many fond memories and know that God is at work here. So God bless you. And and for the the gifts that you gave us earlier today, uh, that's more than we deserve. But thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And so maybe this evening, I'm preaching to the choir. (laughs) You know, it sort of feels like that, perhaps. And yet, I know, I know myself. I know my struggles. I know my needs. And I believe it's a fair assumption to say that you have your own needs and your struggles as well. And so I, bl- I believe that this can be a blessing to us as we look into God's Word again and be challenged. I do invite you to 1 Thessalonians, uh, this time chapter 1. We were in chapter 4 a couple nights ago and heard from God there on the message of of purity, a passion for purity. Tonight we'd like to look at chapter 1. And I've titled this message, Characteristics of a Vibrant Church. Characteristics of a Vibrant Church. And we find these characteristics in chapter 1. Follow along as I read. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, 
knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Well, praise God for his word again tonight. There's, there's much blessing and much encouragement in these verses. Now, before we move into looking at the characteristics here of the church at Thessalonica, it's foundational for us to notice the position of the church. What does verse 1 say? Verse 1 says that this church is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the church here at Thessalonica was connected to the very source of life and power. And because of that, this church was alive. It was attractive. It was growing. It was a picture of vibrancy, this young congregation was. The godly characteristics that we'll note in just a moment, they were evident in this church only because of their position in Jesus Christ. The characteristics flowed out of that position. It's absolutely foundational. And so, dear people, it's really all about having first things first. The truth is, we can never expect to have a vibrant church without, first of all, having a vital connection to Jesus Christ. Whether it's individuals or as a body of believers, that is true. That is where the power is, through that vital connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is maintained in feasting on His Word. Feasting on His Word and then daily submitting myself to the Word of God. Vibrancy in a church is not found primarily in the programs of the church in the singing of the church, in how the church dresses, in the summer Bible schools, in the children's ministry. <laughs> that is not where vibrancy is primarily found. But it is found in the individual lives of the believers that make up that body. The individual lives as they are surrendered to Jesus Christ, as they each one personally take responsibility for their place before God. A vital connection produces vibrant characteristics. And so this applies, as I just mentioned, to individuals. It applies to us as a brotherhood, as a collective body of believers. You know, the church is made up of individuals. And see, uh, the church will only be as strong and as brave and as on fire for the Lord and as pure and as honest and as you fill in the blank as the individuals are, as you are. The church is made up of individuals. It's made up of people like me. It's made up of you and you and you and you. And so I ask you this evening, what kind of a church do you want to be a part of? Be that kind of a person. Be that kind of a person with God's help. And this church will be revived. Your congregation will be blessed as the individuals of that congregation take their walk with God personally and seriously. 
I want to be a part of a church that is vibrant. But as I look at that, then I know what that means for me. That means that I personally need to nurture that close and constant relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as members of the body of Christ, we all play a part in ensuring the strength and the health of the congregation. And so when we each shoulder that responsibility, then it is the making for a vibrant church. Well, let's look at these five characteristics that were evident in that young congregation at Thessalonica. And it's my desire that they be evident in the congregation here at Mabel, in the congregations where you are a part of. First of all, I notice that the church at Thessalonica was energetic. We find this in verse 3. They were energetic. You know, as Paul thought about the church, you know, he had been there some years before. He had helped establish that church. He had poured his life, his ministry, into those people for a while, lived among them. They got to know him. He ministered there. Then as he looked back sometime later, as he remembered them, he said, this is what I remember you about. When I think of you, I think of your work of faith. I think of your labor of love. I think of your patience of hope. In other words, I remember you for what you did. I remember you for your activity, for your energy. We could say for your holy energy, for the way that you threw yourself into the work of the kingdom. I remember that about you. It stood out to him. You know, physically speaking, an active body is generally a healthy body. And the same is true in a church congregation. A healthy church body will be characterized by a zeal for the work of the Lord. And along with that, a sensitivity to the needs around them. The individual of that congregation will live with open eyes, seeing needs within their congregation, seeing needs within their community. It will not be a self-centered existence, but their eyes will be open to the needs around them. The church of Thessalonica was commended for having a faith that worked. A faith that worked. Now in James chapter 2, we're reminded that our faith is proved or our faith is, is substantiated by our works. So our works have a way of revealing what is truly at the heart of our life. What really matters to us. James goes on to write that faith without works is dead, being alone. Or faith without works is really no faith at all. Our Mennonite forefather, Menno Simons, wrote this. True evangelical faith cannot lie dormant, but it spreads itself out in all kinds of righteousness and fruits of love. I like that. It spreads itself out in all kinds of righteousness and fruits of love. That is true evangelical faith. It's active. It's energetic. Its eyes are open. The church at Thessalonica was also commended for their labor that was prompted or motivated by love. And I ask you this evening, what motivates your service in the church? What prompts you to do what you do? I see this as an active church. I've been blessed by that this week. But as far as a little bit of personal inventory, what is it that is prompting you to do that? What motivates you? This church here was commended for their labor that was prompted by love. Now, you children remember that at the age of 12, Jesus got lost. <laughs> now, did Jesus really get lost? No, I don't think he got lost. But his parents just simply couldn't find him, okay? His parents couldn't find him. They went back, and here he was in the temple discussing deep things with the religious leaders at the age of 12. Isn't that amazing? 
Anyway, they were exasperated. And they said, you know, where have you been? We've been looking for you. And he said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Did it never dawn on you? What an experience that must have been. But we then know, as we read the Gospels, as we read the life of Jesus, we know that he went on to show his parents and us what he meant by that. He showed us by example. It was a life that was lived unselfishly. It was a life that was lived compassionately for the needs of others, for their physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. People were delivered. People were set free by the power of Jesus. And Jesus is still setting people free. Praise God for that. That work continues through the work of the Holy Spirit. But I ask you tonight again, what motivates you? Is your labor prompted by love? You know, I know how easy it is for our work in the church, the energy that we put into the church, to be somewhat motivated by peer pressure. You know, I need to keep up with that brother. He outdid me there. Or, boy, did you see that food that that sister brought to the fellowship meal? (laughs) I need to get on the stick a little bit. You know, and we start sort of comparing ourselves and, and our, our work in the church becomes almost competition. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. Or what motivates you? Is it, is it pride? Is it pride that motivates you? Or is it sacrificial love? A sacrificial love, compassion, real care for your brothers and sisters. You see, the deeper you grow in your love for the Lord, the deeper you will grow in your love for one another. And so the focus really must not be on on the others so much as it is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as that is your primary focus, the rest will sort of take care of itself. Our love for others flows out of that primary love for Jesus Christ. Well, the church at Thessalonica was also commended for having a hope that endured. And you notice here in verse 10 where their focus was. It says that they were waiting for God's Son from heaven. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? That was their anticipation. That's what was motivating them, really. They were waiting for God's Son from heaven. And this was like 2,000 years ago. Isn't that something? And we're still waiting today. And we believe that, that Jesus' coming is imminent. We believe that it's soon. And we're living that way. We want to live that way. But because of that focus, they could face even affliction with joy. Look at verse 6. It says that uh, they received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. And I understand that this young congregation did go through a lot of, of trials, a lot of difficult experiences, but yet it says they received the word with much joy, even in the face of all of those trials. How is that possible? It's because of their focus. Because they were looking to Jesus. That's where their focus was. Their eyes were on the prize. Their eyes were not on the problems. Now, there were problems, but their eyes weren't on the problems. Their eyes were on the answer to the problems, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, a vibrant church will always be a busy church, but busy mostly in the things that really matter, and that is eternal matters. Eternal matters. And so I just want to challenge you people tonight. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Keep keeping on. Keep your eyes on the prize. May your love for Jesus be that chief motivating factor in your life that then spills over into your sacrificial love for your brothers and sisters. And notice that God sees your work. God takes note of your efforts. Look there in verse 3 at the very end. So we notice there that, that work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in the sight of God and our Father. God sees that. 
God saw the young Thessalonican church and, and saw what they were into and saw the work they were putting into that and, and knew how weary that made them physically, but it didn't go unnoticed. And God sees your work as well. It doesn't go unnoticed. The Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, there is a lot of labor today that is in vain. And we can, we can busy ourselves in a lot of things that really don't matter. and In, in, in fact, can take our, our energy away from what's more important. But our labor for the Lord is never in vain. Invest most of your time in that and you will be rewarded. Secondly, then, as we think about characteristics of a vibrant church, uh, that church is elect. They are elect. And don't let that word scare you. Uh, we could say they are chosen. The vibrant church is a chosen elect church. You see, at the heart of every human being is not only the need, but the longing to belong. You understand that for yourself. We all want to belong. We want to be a part. We want people to love us, to care about us. It goes deep. It's a part of our makeup. And those who have this need met then have a greater capacity for wholeness in all areas of life, whether it's physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, socially, you name it. Those who have that need met have a greater capacity to experience wholeness in life. Here a few weeks back, me and my wife were talking to a couple that has invested very greatly in a rather dysfunctional home. And it's a situation where the children were pulled from the home and this husband and wife are now caring for some of the children. They're helping them in school and tutoring them and so forth, are pouring an exhausting amount of effort into these children. And it's, it's really a, something that they're not familiar with, something they have not done before. They're rather unlearned in dealing with situations like this. And so a part of what they did to try to come up to speed and, and give better care is they, they did some research and they read some books about situations like this. One of the things they told us we found fascinating is this. There has been studies to prove this, that little babies, I mean little babies that are held and snuggled have a much greater chance in life to succeed. I'm talking about just that just that first year of life. Little babies that are that are are snuggled with and and cuddled and and held close and and especially just the holding. Not just simply putting them in a car seat and take them around places, but actually held close to the body. I found that so fascinating. There's something about belonging. There's something about deep care. There's something about being chosen that resonates so deeply with us. You know, the vibrant church is made up of people who are loved and chosen by God Himself. We are near to His heart, we are His children. He holds us closely. In a sense, He snuggles with us. Our loving Heavenly Father, isn't that a warm picture to you? Even there, be, there may be those of us who have not experienced that relationship, perhaps with a father or mother, and yet, as we are a part of God's family, we can experience that. We can experience that. And we experience that, dear people, through the love of our brothers and sisters through the body of Christ, there is a warmth. There is, is somewhat of that spiritual snuggling that we can experience through the love of our brothers and sisters that is truly the love of God being expressed. You know, we truly are God's people. And, and being chosen 
brings a sense of acceptance. It makes us feel loved, valued, like we're needed. Being chosen brings a sense of security to our lives. It makes us feel cared for. It makes us feel provided for. Being chosen also produces confidence in our lives. People who are sure of their calling and sure of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ are confident people. They're able to go out and speak and and draw people to Christ and look you in the face with, with a genuine eye and confident people because they're sure of that relationship with Jesus Christ. And flowing out of that comes assurance of their salvation and confidence in how they relate. Being chosen also brings purpose to life. It reminds us that we have an important part to play in the kingdom of God. That God needs us, actually. God has chosen us because He wants us to help Him. He wants us to work alongside with Him in the Father's business. We are co-laborers with Him. That is the fruit-growing business. (laughs) Yes. Growing fruit. Developing more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, because God has chosen you tonight, dear person, because God has chosen you, He is counting on you. He is counting on you to fulfill your part. He will be faithful to do His, but He's counting on you to also be faithful and committed to doing your part. When I think of of being elect or being chosen, I have to think once again of the, the mercy and grace of God. Because we simply do not deserve to be a child of the King. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment. Condemnation. That's what we deserve. We are sinners. Were it not for the grace of God. And so when I think of that, I think of the themes of of redemption. I think of the themes of restoration. You know, our God is in the salvaging business. And He loves to take hopeless, broken situations and turn them into marvelous displays of His beauty and His grace. Do you have some ugly scars in your life? Maybe you do. Think back back about your life. Perhaps you have some ugly scars in your life. Dear people, don't walk around with shame. Instead, offer those ugly scars to Jesus Christ. And let Him use those scars to display His amazing grace. To display His amazing grace. He can do that. He can do that. Our God is a God who can take broken things. Seemingly impossible situations. Things that seem devastating, and yet through His redemptive power, make something beautiful out of it. Thirdly then, I note that a characteristic of a vibrant church is that they are exemplary. A vibrant church is exemplary. We find that in verse 7. So that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. You were examples, the Apostle Paul writes. Now, that word exemplary means deserving imitation or serving as a pattern, commendable. But I want you to note that, first of all, as we go through this passage, the Apostle Paul reminds the church of his example. That's actually foundational as we look at this passage. He first of all reminds the church of his example. He tells the church there in verses uh, 5 and 6 that when he came to them, when he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, his preaching was not just his own ideas. It wasn't just his own perspective, some things that he thought up that might be helpful to them. No, but he says it was from the Holy Spirit Therefore, it was powerful. And he says his preaching was truth. And it was with conviction. 
Why? Because it was truth. And, and for you preachers, when we are preaching truth, we can preach with conviction. He says, my preaching was truth, therefore I could preach with conviction. But because it was truth and I preached with conviction, it developed conviction in you. <laughs> do, you do you see the, the direction there? He goes on to say, though, that his personal lifestyle was also one that could be safely followed. He said, we lived among you. You saw us. You saw that we walked our talk. It matched. That's important. That's important for a body of believers to not only be established in the faith, but then also grow. They need to see leadership that walks the talk. Okay? And in order to do that, you have to know your leadership. Okay? You have to know your leadership. That's foundational to healthy church brotherhood. He says that his personal life was transparent. And I say once again that, that all of that, Paul's example was then foundational to the impact that it had on that little church at Thessalonica. It was foundational. Because then he notes their example. He says, then you became a model, or you were examples then, to all the believers in your country and around you. In other words, through my example that was genuine, then you believed the truth and you became an example and a model. It produced a rich, vibrant experience within their personal lives, which then told others the same. You see, an exemplary church is not one that is merely following a great preacher or a great teacher. It's so much more than that. But an exemplary church is one that is, first of all, walking in step with God. It's a church that is ordering their lives in accordance to the Word of God. And I say those two things should go hand in hand. <laughs> okay? There should be good teachers and good preachers at the helm of a vibrant congregation. They should go hand in hand. But see, Paul here had effectively proclaimed the truth and it was transforming their lives. We see that that certainly was one and the same in this congregation. Now I want you to notice the powerful pattern of influence that we see here in these verses. We read in verse 6 and 7, "...you became followers of us and of the Lord." having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So notice that powerful pattern of influence. So the word came from the Lord through the work of the Holy Spirit into Paul's life, and then Paul preached to the Thessalonians, and they believed it, and they shouted that out to everyone everywhere. You see that from the Lord, Holy Spirit, Paul, Thessalonians, everyone everywhere. <laughs> what, what a powerful, a powerful um, pattern there of influence. And I say truly, that is the power of the gospel that continues to ring through the ages in the hearts and lives of God's people. I mean, nothing will stamp that out. Wherever God's people are, there will be the power of the gospel alive and well. That cannot be stamped out. And it has been tried be stamped out many times over the ages. But in fact, the amazing thing is that the more, the more they try to stamp it out, the greater it grows. That's the power of the gospel. I say wherever God's people are, there the gospel will be. Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We have the picture there of a church that is on the offense and they are beating down the gates of hell, as it were. Through their singing and their preaching and their teaching and their praying and you name it, it is a church that is on the offense. They're not just standing back taking the darts and holding off the devil. No, they're actually going at him full bore. That is the power of the gospel in the hearts and lives of God's people. Nothing can stamp that out. And so I just call you tonight to be a part of that church. 
Commit yourself to being a part of that church. Truly, God's church is on the winning side. We have so much to be looking forward to. But I ask you, how will Harrisonburg and Rockingham County and the surrounding areas, how will they see Jesus? How will they really see Jesus? We want our people and we want our communities to see Jesus, right? Is it not through God's people? Is it not through the church? Is it not through you and me that they will see Jesus? Truly, we are His feet. We are His hands. We are His mouth. And when our greatest goal is, is to follow His pattern, to walk in His footsteps, then we become an example that is safe to follow. In fact, we become an example that is attractive. And no, it's, it's not for our glory. It all points back to Jesus Christ. A vibrant church is an attractive church. Not because of you and me, but because of Jesus. And if Jesus is seen in the way you live your life, if your life is marked by Jesus, if the fruit of the Spirit is flowing out of your life, then the Mabel congregation can expect to outgrow this facility because it will be attractive. That will draw people. That will draw people. And God's name will be magnified through that. Fourthly, then, the vibrant church is evangelistic. Evangelistic, we find this in verse 8. Paul writes that your faith in God has become known everywhere. We read there, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. wonder what's known about Mabel. When people think about Harrisonburg, Virginia, what do they think of? Do they think about the Mabel congregation? Oh, that's where they... Yes, that church is vibrant. God bless them. I want you to notice the ripple effect. So he says, first of all, the word sounded out in Macedonia. That's speaking about home. That was home for them, okay? But not only at home, it goes further. It says, but also in Achaia. And we can say, well, that's like abroad. That's around the state of Virginia. The word of God is sounding out from this little congregation. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, every place, all over the country, the word of God is sounding out from this little congregation of believers. What a testimony. How powerful. You know, here's a church that, that just couldn't be quiet. In fact, that word sounded out has the idea of echoing, 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 just goes on and on and on. It's that ripple effect that you hear for quite a while. Sounded out. And Paul went on to say that, you know, your testimony has spoken so loud and clear that we, me and Silas, Timothy, <laughs> we don't need to say anything about it. We can stop talking because it is sounding out so clear. Your testimony is speaking for itself. You know, the more I study the Bible, the more I grow in, in my understanding of God's Word, the more I believe that God's people will not be characterized by simply being the quiet in the land or by establishing tight little sheltered communities where they drive nice shiny cars and they have beautiful houses with manicured lawns and, and where they have prosperous businesses and, and all of that. That's not going to be the primary characterization of God's people. Instead, I believe that God's people will be known as those who are actively 
and purposefully engaging with society around them in healthy and meaningful ways. God's people are those who are looking for and taking the opportunities to establish relationships. Why? For the sole purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is at the forefront of their minds. So how can I reach out to this fellow in town? Or how can I, I see this young lady? And they, and they craft different activities or special evenings or something that may draw them in for the sole purpose of sharing Jesus. That's a character of the people of God. God's people will be those who, when we look at their businesses, the overarching goal of their businesses is not to amass money. It's not to set a big chunk of money aside for their retirement down in Sarasota, Florida. No, it's not that at all. But instead, their businesses become a vehicle for sharing Jesus, once again, with the community. It's about, how can I use this business? How can I use what God has given me to prosper the work of God around the world and in my community? That's at the forefront of their minds. God's people are those who are regularly stepping out of their comfort zone in order to be obedient to the call of Christ. And God's people are characterized as those who are not ashamed to speak the truth of the gospel, even when it might hurt. And dear people, we're living in days when speaking the truth of the gospel can get us in trouble. I don't have to remind you of that. But God's people will do it. Why? Because they know that there is nothing on the face of this earth that is more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It can turn people's hearts in a way that nothing else can. Therefore, they are willing and not ashamed to preach the gospel, to share it. It's truth, and they can stand on it. And do we not believe that God can care for us and that God will honor the proclamation of truth? Don't water it down. Share it. Our culture doesn't need a watered-down gospel. we got enough of those. Share the pure truth of God's Word and watch the church of Jesus Christ expand. I'm not saying it's going to be comfortable. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I said again, it could get you in trouble, but God will honor it. God will honor it. You see, dear people, in order for evangelism uh, to be effective, it must be a way of life. There in the Great Commission... We read in Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Make disciples. There's another rendering that really stands out to me and actually perhaps a more literal rendering and that, that is, as you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. You see, far too often we reserve evangelism for those more structured times of handing out tracts or children's ministry or going on the D.C. street meetings or cottage meetings or something like that. We reserve evangelism, I say, for, for those structured events. And all the while, we're going about life in our own little world. Passing person after person throughout the day. Missing opportunity after opportunity because we fail to realize that evangelism works best when it's a way of life. As you go, Jesus says, make disciples. As you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. As you go to the bank. As you go to the grocery store. As you talk to that sales rep. As you help that discouraged customer. As you, well, you fill in the blank. Go with a disciple-making mentality. As you go. Look for opportunities to share your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, when we as individuals and when we as a congregation can catch a vision for sounding out the word of the Lord, it is the making for a vibrant church. A vibrant church. On the flip side of that, a lack of vision for outreach. 
A lack of vision for evangelism, for missions, often leads to an inward focus. We start looking at each other. We start nitpicking over little insignificant things, and that often results in strife in congregations. And that's why I'm so zealous this evening and have been for a while that we as a conference get on board with something that we can pour our energy into. It's been a while. I understand that we are supporting others. I think it would do us a great blessing to have something that our young people can call their own. Buy into that. And I believe God can bless that. And I believe that could be a tremendous help in working through the ripples in our conference that are somewhat negative right now. Join me in praying about that. Fifthly, then, as we look at characteristics of a vibrant church, we end up with this. A vibrant church is expectant. A vibrant church is an expectant church. We find this in verses 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Notice the contrast between idols and God. <laughs> he makes it clear. The living and true, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I say a vibrant church is one that is anxiously awaiting the return of Jesus. They're anxiously awaiting. They're anticipating. They're almost giddy about that. They can't wait. That is at the forefront. It's important to note here in verse 9 that a vibrant church is made up of people who have experienced an authentic salvation experience. And when I say authentic, I mean it has changed them from the inside out. They are no longer the person they used to be. They're a different person. They look different. They act different. They talk different. They dress different. I mean, they have a new heart. They have a new hunger in life. They have a new habits. All of that. If any man be in Christ, what? He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's a complete transformation from the inside out. That is at the very foundation of a vibrant church. You would not have a vibrant church without authentic salvation experiences. And so that is made clear in the fact that they turned to God from idols. That is true repentance, a turning away from idols to the true and living God. That is the foundation of this little congregation of Thessalonica. May it be that in this congregation as well. But another one of the new things that we experience is a new home. Our destiny has been changed. We have something new to look forward to. Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come. That's how he, he ends this chapter. Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come. You know, once again, hell is what we deserve. Judgment is what we deserve. Condemnation is what we deserve. But because of Jesus, heaven is what we receive. That is nothing but a gift of God. That is God's grace giving us all these things that we don't deserve. The born-again believer has absolutely nothing to fear. We were by nature the children of wrath. We were the object of God's wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. He has made us alive with Christ. Oh, the mercy. Oh, the unmerited love of Jesus Christ poured out on our lives. And so it's because of Jesus that we can now look towards eternity with that eager expectancy as we sing, Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long ere we shout the glad song, Christ returneth, hallelujah. 
I trust that is the, the theme of your life. I trust that is the song of your life. That anticipation of Jesus returning. And see, we, we no longer have to look at our destiny with fear and trembling. We don't have to look at our destiny like a, like a child is waiting for his father to come home and spank him because he's been naughty. But no, our sins have been washed away. We can now experience peace with God. All things have been made new through the blood of Christ. And as we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us. Continually cleanseth us. Ongoing cleanseth us from all sin as we walk in the light. Standing under the waterfall of the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Oh, we have so much to look forward to. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. No, not in shame. Oh, sure. We still are so undone. We are so unworthy. We are so unworthy. But by the grace of God, we can be a child of the King. And so a vibrant church is an expectant church. An expectant church is a faithful church. A church that is living in such a way to receive the prize. And so I ask you again this evening, what kind of a church do you want to be a part of? You see, the church is made up of individuals. The church is made up of people like me, like you, like you, like you. What, a, what kind of a church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of a church that is holy? That is pure, that is brave, that is courageous, that is obedient, that is honest. Then be that kind of a person. Be that kind of a person. And God will bless your life to overflowing. And this congregation will be revived. That's revival. That's revival, dear people. There will be seasons of refreshing in your life, and in this congregation, when you let Christ have his way. Yes. Let's pray.